Anyway, so we are beginning a series now, a new series on the book of Philippians. And uh, Larry, I don't have my clicker. You got it? Okay, well, we have to get my clicker, otherwise you're all going to be lost. So we're going to be talking about the book of Philippians. And uh, today we're going to be talking about joy. And so you might say, well, why Philippians? Why are we studying this book, and why now? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, the Lord lays different things on, on pastors' hearts at different times, but this one really in, had come to me a while back about Philippians. And, and I think what we're going to find, that why this book is so important for us, is because this book is really about joy, peace, and hope. Uh, Paul writes a book to, to the Philippians, and... Um, in the world that he was living in at the time, Paul wrote this when he was in prison in Rome, and he was writing to the Philippians. We're going to talk about that more about that later. But in the life that we're living today, I mean, we need hope and joy and peace now more than any other time that I can think of in my life. In the world that we're living, it's just not getting any better. So uh, I want to read the first five verses as context of our text today, and then we'll, we'll, we'll jump into it a little bit more. But Philippians chapter 1, verse, verses 1 through 5, if you have a Bible, you can open it. I encourage you to open a Bible if you have one. Paul says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, that's who he's writing to, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. That's a key word. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, we've been speaking a lot lately about the times we're living in. As Pastor Rip already indicated, we are living in the end times. No question about it. You, you, you can't argue that fact that with everything going on right now, biblically, prophetically, we are living in the end times. And some would say, well, we've been living in the end times forever. And I would say, yes, you're correct. But we're one day closer today than we were yesterday for sure. And with everything else happening, um, it's just ramping up even quicker. The next big event on God's calendar is the rapture. There's nothing else that has to happen. The rapture is imminent. We've been talking about that. It's the next big event, biblically, is the rapture of the church, which is the taking away of the church from this world. And then when we look at what's happening in Israel right now with the attack on Israel and the gathering of those nations around it, clearly um, more is being set up. The Gog and Magog War is being established, being set up, and, and the hate of Israel is just amazing, the anti-Semitism of the world. And then our government has, has the, the gall to say that, we, that they want to have an anti-Islamophobia campaign. Can you believe it? That's what they're, that's they're focusing on, those that are anti, that are, have in Islamophobia, when the anti-Semitic hate has grown to proportions that haven't, haven't been as great as they were in Hitler days. So how twisted our government is, and, and uh, we know that um, things are really ramping up. And some would say, well, you don't know when the exact timing of the Lord is. And I would say, yes, again, you're correct. I don't know the time when Jesus is coming. But the Bible does say that we can know the season. And it's like, you know what, we don't know when winter's coming. We know that we are in the fall season right now. And how do we know that? Well, because the calendar says it is, because it's November 5th. And we also know because the days are getting shorter. And uh, the 
Temperature is getting cooler. The leaves are turning and they're falling. And so we know fall is coming. We know we're in the season of the fall. And we also know that winter is coming. But we don't know when the exact first snowfall is coming that's going to stick, right? So we really don't know when the, the, the winter is going to start, but we know it is going to start. Well, it's the same thing in the church. We know that we're in the season of the end days. We don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back, but we know we're close because we know we see the signs. And we do know that it is going to happen. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. Jesus is coming back and he's going to take the church out of this world. And the issue is, are we ready or not? As Pastor Rip was talking about, some of us need to get ready. Some of us live ready. And for those that don't think that's important, well, the other issue is you don't know when your last heartbeat is. So you better be ready for that. If you don't want to focus on the rapture, that's fine. Then focus on your last heartbeat because the reality is you don't know when that's happening either. So you better be ready, right? Um, so... Paul's talking here is for our church and this his his promise of hope is really good because the f- primary focus of this writing to the church is joy, peace and hope in the midst of trouble. Joy, peace and hope in the midst of trouble. So I want to set the tone for the rest of the study. Let me ask a couple questions. What are you expecting your life to be like? What are your expectations for life? What do you expect it to be? You see, we live in a beautiful place in northern Michigan, and it is a relatively safe place. Now, we've said this before. We don't have the hurricanes or the earthquakes or uh, the major weather issues. We don't have volcanoes. We don't have a lot of the natural threats to our environment here. We have a little bit of snow and a little bit of ice, and that's about it. And it's pretty safe up here. We don't have high crime rates up here. Um, you know, it's it's pretty secluded. It's a pretty safe place to live. Plus, it's beautiful. But with that said, we can become lulled into a feeling that we're above the problems of the world. We can get sleepy. We can become non-caring to what happens around the world. And we can become... Entitled, thinking that, you know what, we deserve to have peace and safety because we've always had it. But what happens, though, when something rocks your world? What happens, though, when you have a feeling that takes away your peace? You have a feeling that takes away your joy. You have a feeling that takes away your happiness. What happens? Now, let me go one step further. Do you believe that God desires you to be at peace and to be joyful and full of hope? Do you believe that God desires you? Well, if that's the case, then why does God allow so many things to happen in your life that would take away your peace and your joy and your hope? Is that a legitimate question to ask? Is it biblical to expect that as a child of God, once you give your heart to Jesus, that your troubles are going to go away? Is that biblical? Is that legitimate? You see, according to the Apostle John, it's pretty obvious that trouble will face every person, no matter who they are, believer or unbeliever. Just because you're a believer in Jesus doesn't mean trouble's not going to come your way. 
John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So don't be surprised when hard times come. Even after you become a Christian. In fact, if we really understand the strategy of the enemy, you can be assured, you can count on trouble. You see, because before you were a Christian, you were already in the enemy's camp, right? You were already going down the path he wanted you to go to. Even if you were a good person, if you didn't have Jesus in your life, you were already going down the wide road that leads to destruction. And the enemy knew that. But as soon as you give your life to Christ... All of a sudden, you're switching teams. And he doesn't like that. And so, while he may not have given you a lot of trouble, while you are already serving him, as soon as you start to serve Christ, you can expect to be attacked. You can expect to be given trouble that maybe you didn't have before. And then you can begin to think, well, why did I give my heart to Christ when... All I'm getting now is more trouble in my life. I didn't think that was going to happen. Well, that's probably because there was some poor teaching in your life. <laughs> that's probably because some leaders and, and maybe some TV evangelists told you some, told you some lies. <laughs> the reality is, count the cost. When you accept Christ, you're in for the biggest battle of your life. But again, what does the word say? But take heart. I have overcome the world. So even in your battles, understand that greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. First John 4, 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So no matter what the enemy brings to you, he is not an adversary that will defeat you as long as you stay in Christ. And with that promise, we can begin to see what Paul is talking about when he says that we can have peace and joy in the midst of trouble. And what's so amazing is that peace and joy are linked together in most applications. They go hand in hand. Peace and joy come together. In fact, peace and joy are both our fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5.22 But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They all come together, and that that is a whole topic in itself. We can have many sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. But what I want you to focus on here is that the byproduct or the result of having joy and peace in your life is that they together bring hope. And hope gives us a purpose and a goal that the enemy can't detract us from. Peace and joy equal hope. Joy and peace equal hope. Hope equals joy and peace. I mean, it's an equation. It's a mathematical equation. It's like 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's a fact. Joy and peace bring hope. And Paul certainly understands this when he writes to the the book, to the Romans. And in Romans chapter 15, he says, May the God of hope, hear this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how they come together? Joy and peace bring hope. And with hope, we can overcome the enemy. 
This is the context of which Paul is writing when he writes to the church of Philippi. And I hope this makes sense, that as we work through this study, that we're going to find ourselves having more peace, more joy, and more hope for the future that God has promised us, no matter what is happening right now in the moment of your life. Because life can be really hard. There isn't a person in this room that isn't having trouble. You're not alone. Misery loves company. So just look around and see everybody else that's having trouble. And then recognize that that's not your lot in life. But don't deny it either. You see, Paul speaks from the seat of experience here. I just want to tell you a little bit more about what Paul's talking about. Because Paul was a true follower of Christ, but Paul's life was full of problems. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And his life was full of trouble. Listen to what he says in his description of the troubles of Paul's life in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22-28. Paul says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. So don't think that Paul didn't understand trouble. Don't think that when he says that we're to rejoice, that he under, that he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. And after all that Paul's gone through, then he says this in Philippians chapter 4, which is the end of the book that we're going to get to later, but he says this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living living in plenty or in, in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Amen. So that's just the introduction of Philippians. This is why we're talking about this book over the next few weeks. Because we can have joy and peace in the middle of problems. So who was the Philippian church? The city of Philippi uh, was in eastern Macedonia, and it was about 10 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. And it was a Roman city, and it was a military post. And Paul and his team, Silas and Luke and Timothy, they founded the church there on his second missionary journey around 49 to 52 A.D. 
And uh, there's much more. In fact, you want to, if you want to read about that founding of the church, go to Acts chapter 16. You can write this down. I didn't put this in your notes, but checks, maybe I did, I'm not sure. Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 40, tell of how Paul and his team established the church in Philippi. This church was made up mostly of Gentiles, and it proved to be a very faithful church in its giving and support of the Jews. You see, the early Christian church was a Jewish church. But yet the Jews rejected it, and then the message went out to the Gentiles. And Paul was a evangelist to the Gentiles. So what was the purpose of Paul's letter? We'll see that Paul wrote this letter to this church while he was in prison in Rome, not in a five-star hotel, <laughs> but he was probably in um, house prison. He probably was uh, within house arrest where he could have visitors come in because he was in prison for a couple of years. And uh, so he wrote this letter here. But but two of the reasons, two of the major reasons why, why Paul wrote this letter was, number one, to reassure them that God had a purpose for his imprisonment. And we're going to get to this later as we get into the study. And that they were to continue to pray for God's will to be done while Paul was in prison. And God had a purpose for everything he allowed to happen in Paul's life. And it's Paul's job and our job as followers of Christ to seek the purpose of God, even through the problems that we have in life. And then he was also to encourage the Philippians to press on in their relationship with Christ and that they would grow in humility, joy, and peace regardless of their physical situation that they were in. That's why this is such a good letter for us to study today because there is much to learn from this letter for us. We can get, we can glean a lot of God's encouragement here and, uh, and, of, and of his instruction. So again, Paul's major theme is joy, peace, and grace. Beginning in Philippians chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, Paul writes, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I pray for you. Do you see Paul's concern for the people? I love that. Paul was in his own time of trouble, in prison, yet he's praying for those that are free. You know, it was interesting because as I was in prison last week with this ministry, there were some men there that really get it, got it. There were some men there that truly had the joy of the Lord in their life, yet they were in jail. Some of these men were there for life. 30, 40 years they'd been in already, and they were only 50, 60 years old, and they had the life to go. And you know what was obvious to, for those men? Is that they were more free than many people walking outside. They were more free in Christ, and they were imprisoned. So freedom has nothing to do with where you find yourself physically. Freedom is a state of the heart. Amen. Boy, that should give us a real challenge, huh? He says, I thank my God every time I remember you, remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Boy, there's that key word, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. You see, this letter probably was spread around other churches and around the area, and it clearly is, 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 has, has relevance for us today. And one of the things, the first things that Paul wrote about was that he gives credit to God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as the giver of peace 
and grace. And joy is a byproduct of God's grace and his peace. You see, these words all are interchangeable. I'm going to use grace, joy, hope, and peace kind of interchangeable because they all kind of fit together. I know they all have specific meanings of their own, but for the context of this letter, they all kind of relate to the same thing. It's all given us a great hope. And this is a key point because if we're going to have peace and joy in our lives today, I mean, I'm talking about the joy and the peace that doesn't waver. There's only one source of it, and that source is from God. There's only one source of joy and peace, and that's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. The world cannot give this peace. The world cannot give joy. Recognize that fact. There's nothing you can do in this world. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care who you are. I don't care what position in the government you hold. I don't care what position in the church you hold. I don't care who you are. There's You cannot get joy and peace and hope from the world. You might have glimmers of it. You might have a happiness from it. But you will not have true joy that lasts. And since the world cannot give it, the world can't take it away. This is key. Let me say it again. The world can't give peace and joy. Therefore, the world can't take it away. Amen. So don't let your life become a part of a pity party. Thinking that, oh, the the world's taken my joy. My situation's taken my joy. My health has taken my joy. My poverty's taken my joy. No, it can't. If you have the true joy given only by God, there's nothing that can take your joy away. Don't let the devil tell you that he can, because he can't. Does that make sense? We are in a constant struggle and frustration whenever we think that we can gain our own joy and our own peace and our own hope from seeking worldly activities. You will just frustrate yourself. So let me just encourage you not to go down that path. So I want to take the remaining time this morning to talk about joy. What is joy? What is it? Well, the Greek word for joy is kara. And it describes a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. This is a joy that comes from within. It is an inner sense of deep-seated pleasure. It is a depth of assurance and confidence that ignites a cheerful heart. It is a joy that is deep down. It's a sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. That's why this joy can only come from God. It's when I have this relationship with God that I can have joy in the midst of my problems. Only God can give a true joy in the heart of a person that has a relationship with him. Boy, this is huge. I hope we're getting this. Joy is so much deeper than happiness. Joy is so much deeper than happiness. Stop and think about this for a minute. Happiness and joy are two different things, even though they appear to be the same. They're not the same. Happiness is a part of our situation, our happenstance. Let me tell you what Billy Graham says. 
Billy Graham says this about happiness and joy. He says, many people think that being happy and being joyful are the same thing. But there is a difference. We experience a sense of happiness when our circumstances are pleasant and we're relatively free from troubles. The problem, however, is that this kind of happiness is fleeting and superficial. When circumstances change, as they inevitably do, then this kind of happiness evaporates like the early morning fog in the heat of the sun. Do you know what he's talking about? Do you understand here? See, typically, happiness is dependent upon my happenstance. In other words, when my physical needs are met, I'm happy. When my emotional needs are met, I'm happy. When my financial needs are met, I'm happy. When my relational needs are in order, I'm happy. And so on it goes. When all the things in life that would please my physical senses, the things I can taste, touch, and feel, when those are being met, I'm happy. But when these things change, my happiness changes with them. And this kind of happiness doesn't last very long. It lasts only as long as my physical needs are met. But the kind of happiness that lasts is an inner joy that comes when peace and hope comes from our relationship with God. And that can endure all the circumstances of life. Let's go back to what Billy Graham says. He continues to say, the kind of happiness that's lasting is an inner joy and a peace which endures in any circumstance no matter what comes our way. It may even grow stronger in adversity. Think about that. Your joy may grow stronger in adversity. This is the kind of happiness to which Jesus summons us in his sermon on the Beatitudes. He alone has the answer to our search for lasting happiness. Amen. Do we see that? But let me say this. Joy like this doesn't come automatically. Pay attention. This is important. You see, we might have an initial dose, dose, dose of joy the day that we got saved. Go back to that first moment. Go back to your first love. The first time that you accepted Jesus in your heart. Do you remember what it felt like to have that release of your sin and guilt lifted off your shoulders? And the peace that you felt and the joy that you felt when you accepted Jesus and you had that, that revelation knowledge that all is good in the world. My eternity is set. I'm, my, my hope is set on Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? But what happened to that joy and peace later? You see, you have to recognize, and this is one of the things we had to talk to the men in prison about, and we have to talk to everybody about, that we cheapen God's salvation in the American churches because we give it a false impression that salvation equals joy without effort. And I'm not adding to the gospel, but I'm simply giving you an understanding that Satan is your adversary, and he will always be your adversary as long as you're taking breath. And he's going to come against you, especially once you're a follower of Christ. 
The only way that we can maintain the joy of our salvation, that joy of that initial love that we had with Christ, is that we have to maintain our salvation by staying close in relationship with God. The moment I start to drift away, the moment I stop reading my Bible, the moment I stop praying on a regular basis, I'm susceptible to the enemy's attack on my joy. Think about this. Because the devil will come back to you and want, and he'll tempt you to go back to your old way of life before Christ. Your old way of doing things before Christ. Because he had you under his control then. So he will tempt you to go back and just live for yourself like you were living before. But the moment you do that, you're taking yourself out of the umbrella of God's protection of joy because you're taking yourself out of obedience to Christ. Do you know that? The enemy lies to you. And he comes to you and says, you know what, now that you've accepted Christ, you can go back to living the way you were. Really? Is that what the Bible says? No, it doesn't say that. Do you even know what the Bible says? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, have you even read the Bible to know what the Bible says about this? No, you cannot go back to living the way you were, even if you were a good person. There is going to be an intentional change of your life if you're going to maintain joy. You can't live the way you were just because you accepted a prayer, because you said a prayer, because you accepted Jesus, and go back to the old way, because that's a lie of the enemy, and he is doing that to deceive you to go back into the fact that he can control you that way, and you will lose your joy, you will lose your hope, you will lose your peace. So how do we do this? How do we maintain our peace? See, it's an intentional act of our heart to daily choose to obey Christ and to remain committed to him, not as a way to gain our salvation. Listen, this is so important. You cannot gain your salvation by your works. It, your salvation is by grace alone. But once you're saved, you have a responsibility to work out your salvation. You have a responsibility to work it out and maintain it so that you can stay in God's joy and his peace and his grace. John chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. John says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. This is what Jesus is saying. The Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Jesus is saying, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I, as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And here's the point. Verse 11. I have told you these so that your, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Do you hear that? These, listen, wake up. These are not just words on a page. These are the words of God. The very words of God. That the only way that I'm going to have God's joy in my life is if I keep Jesus at the focal point of my heart. And don't let the devil tell you anything else. When our relationship with Christ continues to grow, then joy and peace and hope will continue to grow. But as soon as it starts to waver, I lose my joy. I lose my peace. I lose my hope because it's all contingent upon my commitment to grow in Christ. Do we realize that? I don't think we do. I don't think most Christians in this world do. I think we think once we're saved, we can continue to live the way we want to live and God just owes it to me to make me joyful. No, he doesn't. 
You, you, you gain your joy through your obedience. You gain your joy through your commitment to stay tight to Christ. And then he gives joy. Then he gives peace. Then he gives hope. Amen? That's an intentional effort. That's why I said during our prayer time, we worked really hard to sin. We can work really hard to live a life of sin. And the Bible says you're going to work just as hard or harder to live a life of righteousness. So don't let the enemy tell you that you can coast now. You can just live your life without any intentionality because you're saved. If you do that, you'll lose your salvation. The devil can't take it away. You give it away. You're giving it back to him because you're not, you're not maintaining it. He's not taking it. You're giving it. I hope we, I hope we recognize that point. There's nothing in this life that can take our joy unless we willingly allow it to happen by becoming separated from our pursuit of Jesus on a daily basis. It's a daily walk with Christ. This is the kind of joy that Paul, that James speaks about when he opens his letter in James chapter 1, a whole other letter to talk about joy and other things. But James says this, James chapter 1 verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Isn't it interesting that he equates joy with trials? He doesn't say joy with good things. He says joy with trials. Why is that? Because it's helping us keep our focus on Jesus. That that trial of life can't take my joy. It can't take my peace. It can't take my hope when I'm focused on Christ. Is that what you want? Are you interested in that? Jackie, would you come please? So the purpose of this study that we're going to go through over the next few weeks is to focus on what it means to have joy in the times of difficulty. That we're going to have joy. I mean, we're going to have difficulty. So how do we have joy? How do we have hope? How do we have peace? I hope that we can understand that this is one of the most important things we can we can focus on today. Because this world is, like I've said already, it's going in unprecedented chaos. And it's not going to get better. It's not going to all of a sudden heal itself and all of a sudden, we're not going to go back to normal, guys. Can I just tell you that? We're not going back to pre-COVID days. We're not going back to pre-war days. It's only going to get worse. And so in the process of this, guess what? In the adversity of life, my joy can be greater. Your joy can be greater. You don't have to succumb to the problems of this world because if you keep your focus on Christ, your joy will grow in the midst of the adversity. This is the positive message. This is the message the world needs to hear because it's the only place you're going to get it is in this kind of teaching. Today, evil is rampant and it's not going to go, it's not going to go away. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm telling you what we're studying. Philippians chapter one. So I'm going to go ask you this week to go home and read the chapter. Read it yourself. Begin your own Bible study on Philippians chapter 1. Study it for yourself so that next week you can hold me accountable to, am I saying what's right? (laughs) Right? So you study, and then we'll come back and study together. But go read it, Philippians chapter 1. I'm telling you right now what the agenda is. Go do it. Read it. Study it. Prepare your own heart. 
Because listen, we all know people. We all know people in our lives that need joy, peace, and hope. We know them. They're close to us. And what better way can we share that with them than for us to have it in our life? Amen? I can't share what I don't have. You can't share what you don't have. If you want to share hope and love with peace with people, then you need to have it in your life first. And they will see it. You know, and this doesn't mean you're a happy-go-lucky guy. Don't get me wrong. You can have a bad day, but you can still have joy in it. You can still have peace in it. You can still have hope in it. Philippians 4, 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Again, this is one of the passages we're going to study later on in this book. But he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. What is gentleness? Gentleness is love, joy, peace, assurance, confidence in Christ. So that when you're going through a hard time, maybe you're going through some sickness. Maybe you're going through some problems financially. But yet you can have joy in the midst of it. And a person sitting next to you at that chemo table, they can say, how can you have joy and peace when you're going through chemotherapy? How can you have joy and peace when you're not able to pay your bills? Well, there's a great lead-in because Jesus is in my heart. Because my joy and peace doesn't come from being healthy anyways. It comes from Jesus. Amen? That's how you evangelize. That's how sheep make sheep. Because the joy spreads from with you into others. And they witness your joy. And then all of a sudden you have a, a way, you have an opening to share Christ. So this morning, maybe you're needing a little bit more joy in your life, in your, in your life. Maybe you're down. Maybe you're having a struggle with it. And I can understand that. It's okay. But I would encourage you to take an inventory of your life this morning. If you're struggling with joy, if you're struggling with peace, if you're struggling with a hope, then let me ask you to look at your life with Jesus. What's your relationship with him like? Maybe you've let it wander a little bit. Maybe you've let it drift. Maybe that's your focus. Focus on Jesus. He'll bring the joy. Focus on Jesus. He'll bring the peace. Focus on Jesus. He'll bring the hope. But if you're trying to find hope and peace and joy without Jesus, you're not going to find it. Focus on him and you'll find it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you so much, Father, for the study we're embarking on. God, I thank you for the, for the encouragement that it gives us. I thank you for the assurance that we have that we are in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone we can have hope and we can have peace. And God, I just pray that for those here that are listening, those here that are going to study along with us this week and this study over the next few weeks, that they will just find themselves joyful. That the issues of life won't be dominant in their speech, in their actions, but they'll see Christ. They'll see hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
I'll tell you folks, this is it. This is the secret to life. This is the secret for joy. And I pray that you embrace it. I pray that you walk out of here with a hope and a strength that comes only from God, that this world cannot take it away this week. As you go into your world, no matter where you go, no matter where you go, what you do, take this with you. Take this joy, take this hope, take this peace into your world. Change it. You can change it. Change the people around you. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Go in peace.